Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, so we get an extra day this year. Quite frankly, uh, I'm not here for it here on February 29th. I'm a sports guy, obviously. So are you, obviously. March is the very best sports month of the year. I'm, I'm not here for waiting a day. If you're going to give us an extra day, make that be March, October. I'm over February, man. Uh, come on, you're going to fill out a bracket. I got some college basketball advice here. Too. Here we are two weeks out from Selection Sunday. We're going to have that coming up. We're going to learn a little bit about life on the bubble. Yes, New Mexico head coach Richard Patino joins us later this hour. We will get into that. Does spring training hit anybody else in the fields when it comes to baseball? Am I the only hopeless baseball romantic left? Speaking of which, show is off the market, though I'm not sure which market came with a heftier price tag. We'll have the Athletics Farbian Ardaya for the scoop on Dodgers camp coming up a little bit later on as well. Hey, the NFL Combine's happening right now, and the Bears have a decision to make. We live in a world that is becoming increasingly complicated by the second, but the most important choice of this NFL offseason is actually very simple. Ryan Poles does not need to overcomplicate it. We'll explain why a little bit later on. My name is Trent Rush. I'm in for Jim Rome here on this Thursday, February the 29th, 2024. You can find me on X at Trent Rush Sports. We'd love to hear from some of the clones. I say the date to remind you that LeBron James came into the NBA in 2003. That's right. For more than two decades, we've hyped this man. We've criticized this man. Some have worshipped him. Many others, many others have rebuked him. And most of the time, it's quite justified for the game's most polarizing player. That being said, LeBron's greatness you cannot ignore, even if his status in Laker lore easily can be. That said, LeBron last night did something he's never done before. That's act like a Laker. I'm telling you what, last night, LeBron James absolutely embarrassed little bro on their big night. It wasn't just booting him out. That was a straight-up eviction last night at Crypto.com Arena. When you think about what the Lakers had to play for coming to that game, it struggled coming out of the All-Star break. And then you have a Clipper team that is getting ready to move in a brand-new building Right across the way in Inglewood, it's supposed to be spectacular. Steve Ballmer has been a fun, exciting owner. This Clippers team is a fun, exciting basketball team. I, I, there's a lot to like about the Clippers. The Clippers are good. The Clippers are good, but last night, LeBron James made them little brother once again. I mean, I was straight out of home alone. I mean, that's like, that's like Buzz eating that last slice of pizza and just spitting it right back out at Kevin there. That's what happened last night with LeBron James and the Lakers. And there have not been a whole lot of cool things LeBron has done. But last night, I mean, it was vintage LeBron. Down 21 in the fourth quarter, Lakers come back to win the game. Biggest comeback of LeBron's career. Biggest comeback for the Lakers in 20 years. 19 of his 34 come in the fourth quarter. Six boards, eight assists, a couple of blocked shots in that game. Hits five threes down the stretch. I mean, LeBron was tremendous last night. And LeBron was a tremendous Laker last night, which has not happened. Because when you think about the cool things LeBron James has done as a Laker, it's not a very long list. Okay, he won the bubble title. Tree falls in the woods. Was anybody paying attention to the bubble championship? Did that championship mean anything at all when you had good teams where, you know, a lot of teams were banged up, a bunch of teams ineligible, couldn't play because, you know, someone would test positive. I mean, that whole deal in 2020, that championship, to me, completely meaningless. But that was 
the great moment LeBron James has had as a Laker. I mean, that, that bubble in Orlando, that was, that was a far cry from having to go face Russell in the Garden, right? Far cry from that. So what did that bubble championship mean? Almost nothing. An event that meant maybe even less was the in-season tournament that the Lakers participated and got a trophy for this year and hung a banner for this year. I guess that's cool. I guess that when you talk about LeBron James and what he's accomplished as a Laker, I mean, is there anybody that is better at winning irrelevant events than LeBron James between the bubble title and the in-season tournament? I mean, these are basically glorified AAU tournaments. Okay, LeBron's done that as a Laker. Hey, he set the NBA scoring record as a Laker. That was cool, except for the fact that less than a quarter of his total career points have actually come with the Lakers. For the franchise of Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Kobe Bryant. Uh, The franchise, Jerry West, the franchise with some of the greatest names of all time in this game. For LeBron to think that he fits in that category is bizarre. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's been a long time now LeBron has been with the Lakers and his very first act as a Laker finally came last night. Because think about the not-so-cool things LeBron has done as a Laker. And this is just this season because if I went through all of it, we'd be here for a really long time. We're going to spend three hours together. It might take the whole three hours to go through all the not-cool things LeBron James has gone or has done as a Laker. Again, just this year. How about load managing himself in a game in Boston against the Celtics on a road trip? Lakers won that game, by the way. But LeBron, you know what? Against the Celtics, that's the night I'm going to sit. That's the night. You know what? Celtics are really good. We're not going to beat them anyway. I might as well get my rest tonight. Oh, well, Lakers won that game without LeBron. Speaking of load managing himself, how about the fact that he did it right before the All-Star break, which... Honestly, honestly, I I could understand that one. LeBron James at 39 years old, if he needs an extra day and he wants that at the All-Star break, I I can understand that. What I have trouble with is LeBron sitting that game, playing in the All-Star charade. It certainly wasn't a game, but participating in that, and then needing another day coming out of the All-Star break. When you're playing an important one against Golden State, but don't worry, we'll come back for night two of the back-to-back because I'll make my return against San Antonio and the Spurs, who are awful. Forget the meaningful game against Golden State with two teams vying for playoff spots. No, no, forget that one. Let's come back against San Antonio. And then how about when LeBron – this is my favorite. How about when LeBron, after the Lakers had dropped 10 of 13 coming out of that stupid in-season tournament, and LeBron went to the media – and said that Bronny James could play on this Laker team. Bronny James, who is subpar for USC, and I think might end up being all right. I think he might be a solid college basketball player. (laughs) The best, what takes the cake is LeBron then earlier this week coming back and, and saying, hey, media, why are you guys putting so much on Bronny? You guys are putting way too much pressure on Bronny. LeBron, you created this. For how many years have you been saying your dream is to play with your son in the NBA? I know we've got into that a lot already. I, I just can't get over it. 
because that's just another not cool thing. That's just that's not just a not cool thing as a Laker. That's a not cool thing as a dad. LeBron putting that on his son and and then trying to walk it back on social media. Did that this week. But when your team, like when you're looking for a leader and your team was really struggling, you get beat up by Memphis, you drop 10 of 13. When you're counting on LeBron James and the mystique that comes with LeBron and the heroism that he brings, when you're looking for that to be a leader and then he comes out and says, yeah, my son who's getting like six points a game for USC could play on this team, that was not about whatever he can say whatever he wants. That was not about Bronny being good. That was about the Lakers being bad. And that's coming from your leader direct to the media. How about the not cool things that he did about draping himself in a Knicks towel at Madison Square Garden after posting cryptic tweets right around the trade deadline? I mean, right around the deadline. I mean, LeBron is sending all kinds of messages. He's wanting more players. He's, you know, being very coy. He's being very sharp. He, he's essentially saying, in, in some respects, that he didn't want to be a Laker. And that is unbelievable. And I know that at the end of the day, he is still with this team and Jeannie decided not to trade him and the Warriors made that push and it didn't happen. But I can't think, can you imagine, can you imagine Kobe at Madison Square Garden putting a Knicks towel around his shoulders to cover up his chosen one tattoo before heading into the locker room after the game? Like that is the most anti-Laker thing ever. And on so many fronts, like, LeBron James is an NBA great. LeBron James is not a Laker at all. The guy didn't even show up when Kobe had his statue unveiled a couple of weeks ago. LeBron couldn't be bothered to attend that. And you're going to hear the excuse. Oh, it was a game day. It was tough to get there. He could have stopped by. He could have stopped by. He has time to make, he's able to make time for the other stars that sit courtside at uh, Crypto.com Arena. He could have been there. There's a lot of things LeBron James could have done. There's a lot that he could have done to be a Laker. Last night, though, might have been the first. Again, down 21 in the fourth quarter. Biggest comeback of a 21-year career for LeBron James. Biggest Lakers comeback in 20 years. 19 of his 34 come in the fourth quarter. Six boards, eight assists, couple of block shots. He had a plus-minus plus 11 last night as Lakers came back to beat The Clippers hits five threes and a a six-and-a-half-minute stretch in the fourth quarter. I mean, and he absolutely destroyed James Harden defensively. And I know that there's a lot of chatter right now about what the Clippers can be and is this a title team with the Clippers. And they might be best in the West. I still think Denver's going to have something to say about that. I still think Phoenix is going to have something to say about that. I, I also think that as good as the Clippers are and as well as the Harden experiment has gone, last night was a full-blown exposure that this guy is such a defensive liability that I am now concerned for the playoffs when teams actually do decide they want to play in the NBA, that that could be very problematic for this Clippers team. Because he has been excellent in his role. Russell Westbrook has been excellent in his role. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard – I mean, they have taken on that leadership, and, and, and James Harden has just fit right in to all of that. That in itself is pretty remarkable that you got James Harden to fit in with those guys, 
where it hasn't worked anywhere Harden has gone, it has not worked. And I mean, a lot of people, myself included, unbelievably critical of James Harden and critical of the Clippers for making that move. But James Harden, offensively, it's worked for the Clippers. And I think the Clippers have an outstanding regular season record and a lot of regular season success because of that. But when push comes to shove, And when teams actually start playing in the NBA, when teams actually start defending in the NBA, that's when there's not another level for James Harden to get to. Like, I expect Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to rise. I expect Russell Westbrook to rise. I don't think on the defensive end there's anywhere else for Harden to go. And LeBron James just made a mockery of Harden last night in the fourth quarter. Which kind of kills me. Like, I am a big college basketball guy, and we'll get into college basketball a little bit later on. Like, I love college hoops because everyone plays hard every night. Like, that is meaningful. At the same time, you don't always have, like, the best decision makers in college basketball. You have some good coaches. You don't always have the best decision makers, which makes for a wildly entertaining product. I mean, there's two nights ago, there were two half-court buzzer beaters in the same conference in the Mountain West. Like, that's absolutely insane that that happens and I look at how much fun the college game is and then I see how unfun the NBA is and it can be and I'm not taking anything away from the talent of these NBA players they're some of the best athletes in the world and when the playoffs come around and the guys actually do play it's really fun like LeBron James turned it up last night and he understood the importance of that that was the farewell the swan song, the departure. For the Clippers that are leaving, that was uh, some people when they, when they're leaving, it's, it's we're gonna throw one final house party, right? We're gonna have we're getting we're, we're getting out of here. We're gonna throw one final party at the crib. Let's go hang out before we get out of here. Well, the Clippers tried to do that last night, and the Lakers came in and handed them an eviction notice. That's what happened, and LeBron James straight up was the one to deliver that. I don't think that any of what he did last night excuses his behavior from before. Uh, from before, I don't think anything that he did last night qualifies him to fit in in Laker lore. But I do think what, what we saw from LeBron last night was a step in that direction. And if this Lakers team could somehow go on a run in the playoffs, I have no expectation for this Lakers team to win a championship. I have no expectation for this Lakers team to win a playoff series. They're going to get in. Maybe they maybe they get in out, out of the play-in group. But when it really counts, I think th- this Lakers team is limited, and it's not for lack of talent. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved for only a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everybody feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Trent Rush here on the Jim Rome Show, 1-800-636-8686. You can find us on X at Jim Rome. Find the website, jimrome.com, rome at haveatake.com here in our L.A. studios. 
again, uh, this has been one of those interesting kind of days where LeBron James, massive last night, uh, able to drop 34-19 coming in the fourth quarter. Unreal comeback there. With I'm going to get to some of your tweets, clones. Believe me, I'm going to be getting to some of the tweets. Wanted to take a moment to talk a little football, though, with the NFL draft combine going on. The big decision to make, right, is sitting squarely in the lap of Ryan Poles. What's he going to do? Is he going to keep uh, he's going to keep the pick take Caleb Williams he's going to go for Justin Fields stick with it trade the pick away a lot to discuss on that front and we're bringing on a really smart guy that knows football knows a lot of sports and I'm pumped up to have Mike Gold Jr. with us right now he's doing a show with his dad on DraftKings awesome stuff um, uh, part of the the Learfield Saturday Night College Football Broadcast as well Mike what's happening how are you I'm doing well appreciate you having me how's it going it's going well and I'm trying to sort out what is going on exactly in Indianapolis? And, and I know that this combine for so many years has gotten a ton of hype. It's been a long time since we've seen any of the top quarterbacks throwing. And I think really the biggest story out of Indy really seems like who's not there and Caleb Williams and what's going to happen with the Bears. Gut instinct, uh, Mike Gola Jr., what do you think ends up happening with that first pick? Uh, I think the simplest solution is usually the correct one. And I think the Chicago Bears are going to draft Caleb Williams and they're going to trade Justin Fields and they're going to reset the clock on their franchise with a guy that we've been talking about for the better part of really the last three years going back to his time at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley when they were both still there. And I think everything we hear between now and then is going to be a lot of smoke and mirrors designed to see if they can drum up interest and see if someone's going to throw a godfather offer after him any of the other number of things that we've seen, but in my mind are pretty unlikely. Uh, So here's my stance on this, and and I'm with you. I feel like at the end of the day, you just got to take the quarterback that you believe in the most. Like, forget the outside stuff. Whatever that offer might be, I don't know how great of a godfather offer you think you can get if you still have a quarterback you don't. Is is that the same kind of thing that that maybe you're seeing here? Yeah, I I think so. The the one thing you could sell me on if you were going to – play devil's advocate and say, hey, you know, like Peter King did in his final, you know, uh, football morning in America column, where he said, what if they trade back with Washington to two, and then they trade back from there with Atlanta at eight. Now, all of a sudden, you've recouped like three first round picks and three seconds going into next year. And it gives you the opportunity to, because remember, when they decided to bring back Matt Eberflus this season, there's a little bit of a risk there because now, hey, if you were to bring in a new quarterback and Matt Eberflus shows he's not the guy and you part ways, now your new rookie quarterback is already on his second regime. And that kind of foundation around young players, we've seen subvert even the best talents. And so if you wanted to say, hey, we're going to trade back, we're going to run it back one more time with Justin Fields and Matt Eberflus and have both of them basically on a one-year prove-it deal and say, all right, if it works, great, and we've got a whole treasure trove of picks to work with next year, we're good. We can keep building up the rest of this roster. And if it doesn't, then we can get rid of both the quarterback and the head coach. And listen, at that point, potentially GM Ryan Poles' job all of a sudden probably comes into question as well. But you'd be starting with a clean slate, with a roster that's in a decent place, a ton of resources, and then the ability to probably choose whoever you want in the subsequent draft. The problem is you're risking lesser-known commodities at the most important position football, and that's really what it comes back to is your point is we feel we know a bit more about a guy like Caleb Williams, about a guy like Drake May, 
than we do some of the other prospects coming down the pipeline, and that's the ultimate decider. So well put right there. And, man, I, I think about that. I, I also think about how many GMs, like if it doesn't work, how many GMs get to have three straight number one picks? Like that just doesn't – that is is not going to fly uh, even in, in Chicago, which has been uh, really tough to find wins over the last several years. So we're talking with Mike Gold Jr. right now. So it's combine week. Okay, I am not the biggest combine guy. I never have been. I think that there is some value for it. Mike, take me back to your playing days. When you're getting ready for the combine, from the player's perspective, what is the week like on that front when you're getting ready to try to impress all the scouts and all the GMs that are in attendance? So the whole lead-up to the combine process has sort of become a cottage industry in its own right. Like, I wasn't someone fortunate enough to be invited to the combine, but where I trained for my pro day, I was getting ready with guys that were all getting ready to go to Indianapolis and try and show out. And you train at all these different facilities that to the point that came up when someone like Marvin Harrison Jr. announced, he's not going to go and do any of their games. He's staying back at Ohio state. He's going to train football. That's an outlier because for everyone else, you're training to ace this particular test. It's like studying for the SATs where none of this stuff is really going to help me in anything I want to do job-related down the line, it's teaching me how to be good at this particular test that the people that are deciding my future really seem to value. And so you're spending time going over the technique to do the short shuttle, going over technique for the first 10 yards of your 40. You're sitting in mock interviews, going through the exercise of trying to figure out in game, what do these teams want to hear from me when we're in these closed-door meetings, when we're getting on the board and breaking down plays, no matter what position I play in right now. And so you spend so much of your time and bandwidth trying to certainly get better physically. For some guys, it's a process of trying to add weight. That's what it's like for me. So you're working with a dietitian. You're working with the nutrition staff and the training staff there to make sure I'm ready. Hell, they had a plan for your hydration traveling from where I was in Scottsdale, Arizona, to Indianapolis, where this is what you're going to eat when you get to the airport. This is what you're going to drink when you get on the plane. This is what you're going to do as soon as you get to Indianapolis. This is what you're going to do the morning of to make sure that you're ready. Here's how we want you to do your warm-up for the 40 the week before so that you're in the right place physically and mentally. Like There is so much time and effort spent towards just being good enough to ace this test because it's really less about the physical results for the most part. They want you to hit a certain range of physical profile. You need to be an NFL player, period, and that's important. But it's about how much are you going to show them the process matters to you? How important is the work to you? And how much are you going to put into that as a way of, in their mind, I think is kind of indicative of how you're going to do everything else. It's an interesting way to put it, because I think about this for like the teams that are trying to sort out what this is going to look like. Okay, so if you have all these players that are doing everything they can for the combine, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're becoming better football players in the process. I get the logistics of it. Everybody's in one spot. You're able to get your, you know, your measurements done. You're able to have those in-person interviews. I understand that part. I would think it might even get to a point where it's got to be tough for teams to try to sort out what's real, what's not, and, and filter that. I, I would think that we probably, if it's if it's that much of a cottage industry as what you're describing right there, it might be tough for, for a lot of these teams to make you know heads and tails over who's legit and who's just legit at the combine, don't you think? Absolutely. That's why I think uh, there are certain things I'll be curious about the overall process to see if they change in the coming years. I think the pandemic, we learned a lot when people had to scout remotely about how much more you can draw from tape. Obviously, you're going to see how a guy plays. The most important stuff is still what you've studied from their college career. 
But college football is a tough eval because so many of the offenses and schemes are different on both sides of the ball because there's such a talent disparity at every level of the sport, uneven scheduling. I can see why it's tough, but there are so many different things in the way that we track and evaluate talent now. If player tracking becomes more ubiquitous in college sports, you're going to see them be able to lean on the game speed metrics, the things that they can pull from that, maybe more so than a lot of this stuff. I think what they do to try and circumvent what you're talking about and really what the whole combine is is a psychological test. Because when you're out there, usually, while Indianapolis looks sunny and nice this week, it's usually cold and snowy in the middle of February when they do this event out in Indianapolis. You're being woken up at all hours of the day. You're being poked and prodded by medical staffs who, as another one of the most important parts of the combine, all get to look at you, all get to say, hey, here's the book we got on this guy's industry. How does this body part actually move? How does it hold up on this stress? What have we not been told about this particular area of a player's injury history? They get to test all that, and then they get to send you out to these drills. And it's not like when you were training and in ideal circumstances and well-fed and have enough sleep. No, no, no. They're trying to make you do this in the worst position possible, not give you as much time to warm up, make sure you're operating off very little sleep, make sure you're feeling the pressure of the moment because they want to see if you're going to break. And so that's their goal once you get there. In my mind, the way it's been relayed to me by guys that have gone there, the way we see the process unfold every year, they want to see how you hold up in the crucible much, I think, more so than just how you perform in any individual drill that you've been very well coached to succeed in. I think that that's all of that is so fascinating to what you go into. This is why I, this is probably the only reason why I couldn't be an NFL player. I would go to the combine and get so invested in trying to say, set the St. Elmo shrimp cocktail record that I think that I would get really distracted and that would be a problem. Mike, last thing uh, before we let you go here, uh, I had a chance to catch a little bit of your show on, on DraftKings earlier today. Obviously, LeBron James, the big story. What'd you make of LeBron's night last night? Uh, it was it really. For the first time in a while, something I stopped and really took stock of. Because whenever LeBron or some of these all-time greats do something, the stock line that ends up going and getting circulated is, oh, we need to take time and appreciate greatness. And I usually kind of laugh it off because I think it's a bit reductive. But in this particular instance, evaluating this Lakers team who's sitting in the ninth seed right now, I still don't know if I think they can make a deep postseason run with the parts involved. We saw they were atrocious from three for the majority of that game until LeBron decided to hit five in the fourth quarter on his own. And so I think it made me realize, hey, in year 21, while he's chasing 40,000 points, while we're talking more about his son and how that overlaps with his future, then I think we're realistically talking about Lakers championships, at least till we get to this summer, because we know what they've got at their disposal to try and bring in another star. It was the first time in a while I really sort of felt the, oh, we don't probably have that many more of these moments where we're going to get to watch LeBron take over in a game and do all this spectacular stuff on both ends of the court because father time, while it's eroded him a lot less than most has still come to collect payment a little bit. So it was one of the first times where I really stopped and was like, you know what? I'm not going to go to bed right now. I'm going to stay up and watch this because it's got the makings of something special. And he delivered, he delivered in all the ways that we're used to both being a guy that can get hot on his own, but also I, 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 the defining LeBron James trait for me showed up, and it's the thing I've seen in Patrick Mahomes that felt the most special is relentless belief in his teammates. That one possession where he goes down, they're starting to double-team him, and he kicks it out to Rui Hachimura, and Rui misses, and the whole team have been missing all night, and they get a rebound, and what does LeBron do? He throws it right back to Rui, who promptly knocks down the three. It's the same thing we saw from Mahomes this season when guys like Kadarius Tony or McCole Hardman or MBS were dropping passes or not where they were supposed to be, 
Pat stayed with him because he knew what they were capable of and what he would need them to be able to do later on if they were going to reach their goals. And I think that seeing that show up again in the midst of the LeBron-led flurry was a real cool reminder of what made him so great. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, change up. Don't make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Here's why. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. On top of that, Old Trapper is a family-owned business, and they take their smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Like, who wants dried-out, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. That's who. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, teriyaki, peppered and hot and spicy all amazing and all different so the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime anywhere grab some old trapper beef jerky look for it in the clear view bag and look for it in major retail stores near you if you don't see it ask for it by name because no other jerky compares old trapper what's your beef we get an extra day this year, a little leap year action here on this February the 29th. My name is Trent Rush. Welcome back. Sitting in for Jim Rome today here. 1-800-636-8686 is the number. You can hit up the show on X at Jim Rome. You can find me at Trent Rush Sports. I've seen some tweets already. Maybe one of these days I'll be able to read one of these tweets, but good stuff from the clones. Uh, keep them coming, and we'll uh, get some fun stuff uh, later in the program. First, I am pumped up. I'm I'm. Uh, Well, let me first say, I'm a little disappointed i got to wait an extra day to get to March. I am a March guy. I am a college basketball guy. And let me tell you, one of the teams to watch getting set for the NCAA tournament this year are the New Mexico Lobos. Their head coach, Richard Pitino, joins us here. Uh, Back-to-back 20-win seasons for Richard Pitino, trying to take the Lobos to the big dance uh, for the first time in a decade. We're excited to have him on. Year three in that program has completely revitalized New Mexico basketball. Coach, how are you? Thanks for being with us. Doing good, Trent. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I look at what has just been an absolutely fun Mountain West season this year. I woke up and took a look at the net rankings, which I would imagine maybe you've done uh, today as well. I see there you are at at 25 in the net. It's kind of been life on the bubble for much of the season. Uh, I think you're on the right side of the bubble. I think you guys are in. But when you consider just the way that you know, this conference trying to get six teams, the NCAA tournament last year started so well, it didn't finish hot this year, trying to keep it going. What's life like on the bubble getting set for the NCAA tournament? Oh, it's horrible. It's hell. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's stressful. Um, you know, it's, it's hard because you have to remind yourself and take a step back. We, we obviously just had a really, really tough loss at home to air force. Um, but you know, you got to, you got to say, okay, after 28 games, we're top 25 in the net. We are, you know, if the tournament were to end today, you'd be in the tournament. Uh, you know, so there's so many good things, but it's hard because we have so much information at our disposal and we're looking at it before the race is over. Um, and it creates a little stress. It creates a little anxiety. But it's, you know, as I told my team the other day, I said, guys, like 80% of college basketball is not in this position right now. Like people have to remember when you're in the NCAA tournament, it's, it's 68 teams, but only about 30 get at-large bids. Um, so to be considered in that position right now, it, it's a great thing. And um, a lot of pressure, obviously, but you know what? 
it's got to bring the most out of you because the more you play and the more you coach, so much pressure is put on you. But it's a good thing. It is, and the fact that your team has been playing well so much of the season, I'll, you know, maybe we'll take you know, the last game aside, but I mean, your backcourt has been outstanding this year. Jalen House, uh, Jamal Mashburn, who you brought with you uh, from your days in Minnesota. Donovan Dent has emerged. He's been so good this year. When you have a trio of outstanding guards, and many are talking about your guards being the best in the West, um, how do you handle when you have uh, great guard play like that, and then three of them trying to you know, find who gets the ball when? That's got to be tough. Yeah, I mean, it is certainly a challenge. I think more the more challenge, honestly, you know, offensively, we've, we're number one in the Mountain West in points. Um, you know, we, we certainly can do that. But the challenge really is on the defensive side of it and the rebounding side of it. Um, we, we've had several times where if the game gets kind of bogged down and we can't turn you over and we can't create steals, where we've just – size has really hurt us. And that's kind of something that we've had to live with. Um, you know, when you have kind of those guards, I mean, you didn't know with Donovan Dent, like we really liked him, but he's made a big jump and it's forced us to have to play the three guards. And, um, you know, it's been more of a challenge for sure on the defensive side of it. Offensively, uh, they're going to play with great freedom and pace and go make great plays. And and when they're all clicking at the same time, uh, we're pretty hard to beat. Richard, you talk about you know, the fact that maybe there's 30 at-larges uh, for the NCAA tournament. There is some chatter this year. The Mountain West, your conference that you're in, might have five and, and maybe get six teams into the NCAA tournament. When you consider the eight years you spent in the Big Ten at Minnesota, coming up uh, with your dad, with Billy Donovan, getting set uh, now to, to you know help revitalize this New Mexico program. You've done a great job with that. How do you feel like this Mountain West stacks uh, among some of the other conferences across America? Because to get six teams in, I mean, that would be substantial for this league. Well, and I joked to my staff this morning. I said, "When did I get back in the Big Ten? I mean, like, I remember <laughs> playing in, the, you know, coaching in the Big Ten. You'd have like seventy percent of your league was in the NCAA tournament. They're all quad one games. We're going at Boise on Saturday. It's sold out. Um, you know, so it's it's what what's even more remarkable is." UNLV may be the most talented team in the league. They could win the league, and they may not win, make the NCAA tournament. That's how crazy it is. So you have seven teams, realistically, that could all justifiably go to the NCAA tournament, make noise, and then you've got Wyoming, who's been extremely close. Air Force, play, Air Force plays. You know, Air Force obviously beat us. They blew out UNLV by 30. Um, you know, so it's just uh, it's obviously a very – Fresno State had Utah State beat – you know, the other day was one of the more entertaining days uh, in the Mountain West. I know a lot of people probably asleep, but you just saw the venues. You saw how hard everybody's playing. Um, it was really made for TV. Uh, so it's, it's, um, it's hard, but it's a lot of fun, and it brings the most out of you. Yeah, Nevada winning on a half-court buzzer beater at the end at Colorado State, who's been ranked for much of this season. Uh, one of the games you're kind of alluding to right there. Talk with Richard Patino, the head coach at New Mexico. But I, I also think about, okay, so you've seen what great basketball looks like at a bunch of different levels. Uh, do you feel like, you know, that th- this Mountain West League, it, it's legitimate when you look at the net rankings? Because I know there's been a lot of talk nationally, the Big 12 doing some things in scheduling to, to try to inflate some of their numbers. That's been a big topic of discussion in college basketball. Do you feel like what you're seeing in the Mountain West looks the part as legitimate compared to, you know, what you've seen just throughout your whole life and what great basketball looks like absolutely i mean i I think um 
you know, it's you've got older guys in a lot of them. Maybe they're transfers, and now that's that's college basketball everywhere. You've got legit venues now, whether it's Boise, Utah State, the Pitt, uh, Viejas, Colorado State, Nevada. I would say all of those are terrific environments that you could put up against anywhere in the country. You've got continuity, um, you know, from the coaching staffs where. Coach Dutcher's been there, obviously, a very long time. Nico's getting there for a long time now. Um, Leon's been there for a long time. Coach Alford's been there for a while. Um, and then you've got programs like New Mexico and UNLV that were down a little bit. They're coming back. Um, they're establishing themselves. Utah State's maybe been the most consistent one of any of them. So, you know, I think the, the thing that this league continues to need to do is improve the resources as much as you possibly can. Uh, really, the only difference, I believe, in a lot of these conferences is in TV contracts. You know, and if, if we have an opportunity right now with obviously the Pac-12 falling apart to really, really pour a lot of resources into basketball, and, and we can get consistency like this uh, for a long time because they're all great venues, they're great schools, great environments, and people love college basketball in this league. Richard, I don't know if you heard, but your dad had some uh, NIL comments uh, last week. I'm, I'm guessing maybe that made it around on a family text message uh, and, and talking a little bit about, you know, just the, the resources it takes to have sustainability. I understand that, you know, St. John's is different from New Mexico, but when you, you look at just the way college basketball is set up right now, to, to find sustained success just seems like it's getting harder and harder to do every year. How do you find that, especially at a program like New Mexico in the Mountain? West that is rising, but but maybe doesn't have the same resources as a lot of the bigger programs. Super challenging. I, I said to my staff this morning in a meeting, you know, because we're all fighting for the NCAA tournament like anything else, and I said, hey, man, I'm proud of the fact we've got back-to-back 20-win seasons. Let's see if we can finish this thing strong, because you just don't know anymore who's going to walk into your office and, and want to transfer. They all could do it. And, um, you know, it, it's a certainly I like the freedom for them. I really do. Um, I like the fact that they can make money off of their name, image, and likeness, to say that that's not going to uh, impact recruiting and impact transfers, that's just so silly. Um, it, it just is what it is, the real world. Um, but I think what what I don't like about it is I, I hope, because it's turned into pro sports, and you're not hearing as much about kids wanting to get degrees anymore. Um, you're maybe not hearing as much about winning. And, you know, it, it's you hope it doesn't kind of rob – the youthfulness of being in college um, because you're certainly feeling more and more like a pro coach every single day. So if you want consistency, you need resources because other people are growing. It's just the reality of it. I mean, and it's, it's whether it's your collectives, whether it's, um, you know, opportunities in the community name, image, and likeness, as well as all the other stuff, it's just uh, you better compete. And if you don't compete, I don't care. And I think that's why coaches are so frustrated and maybe they're sounding off so much is our backs are against the wall right now. And uh, we've got great support in New Mexico and we got to continue to have great support because we're being judged by what has been the standard over the last 30 something years in sports where we all feel like it's a brand new job. Doesn't mean it's bad, but we certainly have got to compete uh, for every little resource we can get. Richard, I don't have a ton of time here, but I, I couldn't let you go without asking you this. I mean, you've won over 200 games in your career, um, you know, absolutely building your own name here, but you come up with your dad, you leave being on a Rick Pitino staff to join Billy Donovan and his staff. How important was it for you to kind of break away and be with Billy Donovan to set up your coaching success? Yeah, it was transformative in my life. Um, 
you know, it was uncomfortable. I was very, very content at Louisville. I wanted to pull myself out of my comfort zone, and I saw a different way of doing things. Both great, both amazing, and what I think Coach Donovan just taught me is be yourself. You know, there's a million different ways to skin a cat. Pour your heart and soul into it. Uh, be a great husband. Be a great father. Be a great role model. Uh, but just do it your way. So uh, very, very lucky to have worked for my dad as well as worked for Coach Donovan, some other really good coaches. Are you one of millions struggling with premature hair thinning and hair loss? Or maybe you're scared about inheriting that thinning look because it just runs in the family. Introducing Provia, a real solution that delivers on its promise without the harsh side effects, unwanted chemicals, and unpleasant smells. Thanks to our friends that develop GenuCell skincare, Provia uses Procapil. It's a natural ingredient to effectively target the three main causes of premature hair thinning for men and women of any age. By supporting scalp circulation, the delivery of nourishing nutrients, and hair follicle anchoring to your scalp, Provia guarantees more hair on your head than in the shower or on your comb or 100% of your money back. And right now, new customers can save over 50% off Provia's introductory package at ProviaHair.com slash Rome. Every package includes a full 60-day supply of Provia serum for daily use plus their super concentrate that could give you faster, more noticeable results. And every order includes your choice of a free gift at checkout. See results for yourself right now. ProviaHair.com slash Rome. ProviaHair.com slash Rome. These statements and products have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or condition. Hour number two of the Jim Rome Show. I am Trent Rush sitting in for Jim here on this leap day, this Thursday, February the 29th. Give us a phone call, 1-800-636-8686. You can find us on X. Hit up the show at Jim Rome. Find me at Trent Rush Sports. Also send us an email, rome at haveatake.com. Want to get to some of the clones uh, coming up a, a little bit later on here in the show because, look, that's what, that's what this is all about, right? It's you guys. It's you guys, and I'm happy to be sitting in for the legend Jim Rome today, but the reality is, is I'm just one, I'm one of you guys, right? We're all in this together. You guys are the show. I'm glad that I can kind of play some traffic cop here today, but you guys are what make this thing happen. So uh, hit us up, clones at Trent Rush Sports at Jim Rome, Rome at Habitake.com. Great way to do that. I was, re- you know, that was really fun. The last segment uh, for those that maybe just joining us now, we had Richard Patino on. He's the head coach at New Mexico. Talk a little bit about. Mountain West basketball and what New Mexico is doing. How about the fact Mountain West right now with six teams in the top 45 for the net that are you know looking like they might get six teams in the NCAA tournament? I don't think they will, by the way. I think that if they have six teams that deserve to get in, it means they'll probably get four. You know, maybe they get five, but you know, you have six teams that may be able to to make a pretty compelling case for why they belong. I know that that has really upset some folks in ACC country, and for whatever reason, man, ACC basketball fans like they like they are having a hard time these days because you know you're picking fights with the Mountain West. I mean, the, the Mountain West, for goodness sakes! Like, can we not just enjoy the fact that this conference of mid majors where nobody else, you know, none of these schools have like crazy 
money to fund their program. Like, yes, San Diego State was in the national championship last year, and Brian Dutcher has done an awesome thing, and you know Steve Fisher built it, and and Dutch has continued that. It's really cool what's happening at San Diego State. But you know, we were talking about San Diego State as like this lowly mid-major that somehow like snuck in to the national championship game. They're really good. And New Mexico's really good, and Colorado State is really good, and Nevada's really good, and Utah State's really good. Like, there are all these teams on the West Coast. Like, you, you look at Arizona, I think that they're the cream of the crop out West. I think that you look at Washington State, who's beat Arizona twice. They've been pretty good out West. But then you're looking at a bunch of Mountain West teams. And for whatever reason, ACC folks have had a, a huge issue with that. They feel like maybe the, the Mountain West, if they get six in, that's going to steal some ACC bids. I can assure you of this. The Mountain West is not going to be taking bids from the ACC. That's just not what happens when Selection Sunday comes around. And if your team is really that qualified to get in, well, then you'll make sure that you are set up appropriately. That being said, you know, you also talk about – Man, oh, man, the fights that the ACC fans are picking with the Big 12 these days. Everybody, coaches are getting involved in this. Everybody's getting upset at the Big 12 and their schedule manipulation, which does bring up, I think, a fascinating issue. That in college basketball, this net ranking, which is, I will say, an improved version of the RPI. It's not a lot better, but it's a little bit better. And they take into account, like, your efficiency numbers, like the advanced metrics. So if you are, you know, uh, if you're Duke, you can go schedule some Division two or Division three opponent. Actually, I guess it has to be D1 to really count. But you could, you could take, like, Duke could play Detroit Mercy and beat them by 75 points and go up, like, 10 spots in the net, whereas, you know – North Carolina could go play UConn and win by two and maybe only go up like four spots in the net. Like, like that's the kind of stuff that's been happening. And when you play 30-plus games and it just keeps getting multiplied, in the non-conference, the, the Big 12 was able to rack up a bunch of wins by playing a lot of nobodies. And through that, we're able to kind of inflate their whole conference numbers. I, I think to a certain extent, I think the Mountain West has is, is pretty inflated numbers for a lot of teams, but, but they played some national schedules too. And, you know, UNLV beat Creighton, who's a, who's a top team in the Big East. I, I think you, you look at that kind of stuff, and it's interesting to see how scheduling and the details matter because everybody's trying to figure out the math, right? And we had Mike Gold Jr. on earlier, and he was trying to figure out – how these players that are getting ready for the NFL Combine are trying to, in some ways, like game the system a little bit, right? You're trying to, okay, so if this is the SAT that you're prepping for at the Combine, you got to do all this stuff to get ready for it. You're, you're 40 times right, your vert's right, you have the right answers in these interviews. In college basketball, it's much of the same. Whereas you have these coaches that are trying to schedule and try to figure out, okay, who's is that going to be a quad two game or is that a quad three game? Uh-oh, they have to win to make sure that they don't drop from a quad one to quad two. And, and you're trying to decipher all of this stuff and this extra noise and the metrics. So where you have that number beside your name that puts you in the NCAA tournament. That's what all of this is about. And I know that there are a lot of ACC fans in particular kind of leading the charge on this, crying foul about what's happening in the Big 12 and picking on the little brother in the Mountain West. You know, I'm going to stick up for my Mountain West guys. Let's, let's back off a little bit because I think that is some pretty good basketball that's out there. The other part about this, too, 
and, and I think this is where you get emotion that you just is unmatched in college basketball. Like, did you see that kid? I think it was, uh, I want to say it was Texas Tech that literally got pulled out by like five security guards and like they had to get like the, the sheriff involved, to like take this kid out of the game and he was so amped up. But there is passion in college basketball. I think because it, it is the best gambling sport there is. Like, I don't gamble on college basketball. I, I don't really gamble on any sports. And I tell you this because not that I'm trying to be, you know, all high and mighty. Like, I will play, you know, so, some, you know, little games here and there and, and fantasy, you know, sports and, and I'll, I'll, I'll be involved, but I'm not like, looking up spreads and getting all of that involved on it because I think it's so impossible to predict. And that's the beauty of college basketball. It is unbelievably entertaining. I mean, we were talking about this with Richard in the last segment, how there was a game, Nevada at Colorado State two nights ago. Nevada's got this senior guard, Jared Lucas, who – is a 92% free throw shooter, misses three of four free throws down the stretch, could have put the game on ice, doesn't do it, on the road at Colorado State, chokes, right? He choked. Colorado State goes in their best guard, Stevens, ends up scoring on the other end that ties the game. Instead, what does this Jared Lucas do? Well, he gets to half court going off the wrong foot and banks in a game-winning three at the buzzer. You don't get that in other sports. I know Struess had a, a half-court game winner for Cleveland the other night, but you don't get the same kind of passion that you get in college basketball. It's different. I do think that the, the gambling component is an important part of that. But and I think back to even my day is like one of my first jobs in broadcasting, I was calling Big West basketball games um, for ESPN3, which was ahead of its time. And at that time, it was a lot of like – Wait, you watch the game on your computer? That doesn't make any sense. Like my, like oh my phone, I, my phone doesn't even get video. How does that work? It was it was ahead of its time, but it was really fun doing that. And there would be times where you know, as as the broadcaster for the games, you go to shoot around, and shoot around is is like the, the practice before the game later, and and you're watching the teams go back and forth, and you can kind of figure out the injury report, and you can kind of you know have an understanding of who's going to play, who's not, what the team sets are going to be like. The guys calling the game, like the producer, the analyst, and the and the play by play guy, are the three that are the only people that know exactly what's going on with both teams that day. So there would be times I'd be at like these little I'd be at like a Cal State Fullerton or a Cal State Northridge where there was going to be about 17 people at the game. But like 10 of them would be or at least a couple would be waiting outside shoot around like trying to get a scoop like that. That kind of stuff would happen. You know, again, we're talking 10 plus years ago that this stuff was going on. And and I don't know that if it is or isn't now I haven't seen it. But those are the kind of things that everyone's looking for an edge. And in college basketball, especially at the mid-major level, you feel like you have a chance to get an edge. And on a bigger picture scale, the more you understand about the little guy and trying to discover Cinderella early in the season, when you come March, don't you look like the smartest guy in the room when you're filling out your bracket and you get that bracket sleeper? Isn't that what everybody's pulling for? Like nobody wants chalk. Which and, and and last year there was no chalk, which was actually awesome. You know, when you had Florida Atlantic doing their thing, Florida Atlantic was actually good, by the way. It's not just, you know, it's not just some kind of fluke. San Diego State was good, not just some kind of fluke. UConn, who went under the radar with a five seed, UConn has been one of the best teams in basketball this year. I don't know why we have to wait till March. Like, like the college game is so much fun because it is so unpredictable. It is so wild. These guys play hard. They don't always play smart, but in so many ways, it's more entertaining. 
And if I'm going to offer one piece of advice for when the calendar turns to March tomorrow and you're trying to figure out what that bracket is going to look like, the advice I will give you here, go old, man. Go old. Pick the old teams. We are in this era of NIL and transfers where these mid-major programs, when you're trying to discover Cinderella, you might find some, some young Cinderellas that have star freshman talent. But maybe one of those teams sneak through, but the good veteran players are at the major programs because the mid-majors have essentially become the minor leagues for the power conferences. I mean, the Mountain West is a, a true exception to that. But you're also looking at top talent is coming into these lower-level programs because the bigger programs are so busy trying to poach the best freshmen and sophomores from across the country, they want the proven commodity that's coming to their programs. So I, I look at, like, UConn is an old team. Purdue, they're an old team. Arizona is an old team. Houston is a, a kind of old team. North Carolina, super old. I think they're the sixth oldest team in the country when it comes to Division One experience. Like, these teams, like, these old teams are going out and they are essentially buying whoever is the top underclassman at a mid-major. And those players are producing. So when I'm looking for the NCAA tournament, I'm looking at continuity. I'm looking at having that Division One experience. Like, that kind of stuff is going to matter. I mean, you have a couple exceptions. Like, Duke is super young. Washington State is super young. Those are two good teams that are young teams. But I also look at, like, UCLA and Louisville, who are two of the youngest teams in the country. They're not good. Like, Mick Cronin, to his credit, has taken – I think for two-thirds of the season, maybe the worst UCLA basketball team I've ever seen and made them competitive here in the last third of the year. And that's and, and an incredible coaching job by Mick Cronin because UCLA just doesn't have the talent. And they're super young. Louisville's super young. These old teams are going to be teams that make a difference in the NCAA tournament. And you're seeing more parity now, I think, in the regular season. Because of all these like stud freshmen, like even even New Mexico has his forward JT Toppin, who could be an NBA guy. He, he, he no matter what, like, like maybe he stays at New Mexico, but it would take like a, a downright miracle for a player like JT Toppin to stay at New Mexico because you know Arizona is going to be after this guy, of course. Like like Duke and North Carolina are probably going to be in on this guy. Kansas is probably going to be in on this guy because if he doesn't go to one of those places, the league is going to be calling on this guy. This was a three-star prospect that Richard Pitino was on really early and was able to get him to New Mexico, and he makes his commitment. He goes there, but then has a breakout season. I don't know how you keep that guy. Like It, it, it would really take a bona fide miracle to do that. So considering that, and, and that kind of situation is happening a lot of different places in college basketball. So you're going to have some sleeper Cinderella teams that end up making some noise because they have a lot of talent, but for me, when I'm trying to figure out what my Final Four is going to look like, what my Sweet 16 is going to look like, I'm picking old, man. That's how I'm going. San Diego State last year, of all the teams in the Sweet 16, who was the oldest team? It was San Diego State. And they're old again, and they're good again. I don't know that San Diego State's going to have another run to the NCAA Tournament Championship game, but I like, I like old veteran teams that have continuity. I think another reason why you've seen so many upsets in college basketball feels like this year more than ever because a lot of these 
teams that were put together through the NIL over the summer, there, there's no continuity there. There's no consistency there. I mean, what these coaches are being asked to do is really tough. Constantly trying to raise money, buy a roster. I mean, at some point, there's going to have to be like some general managers. Like, like we are headed to pro sports. Like, college sports are becoming pro sports. And now here we are in this time where there's so much chatter about NCAA tournament expansion and trying to add to it and how to have more teams in and take it from 68 to 96 and, and let everybody in. The college basketball regular season is awesome. I know everyone just cares about March, but please can we not dilute the regular season even more and just let every power conference program is because that's what expansion really means. Expansion does not mean that we're going to allow better teams into the tournament. You're getting good teams. You're getting the best teams. And at 68, if you're not one of the 68, like there's going to be a handful of teams that feel like they got hosed. But if it goes to 96, there's still going to be a handful of teams that feel like they got hosed. All expansion would do would be to allow underperforming, underwhelming power conference teams more spots in the NCAA tournament. And that in itself is reducing the magic of what makes that tournament so special. I mean, people that that watch college basketball from the start of the season, the first week of November up until now, you're still talking about that one tournament every single day. It is a constant part of the conversation. Everybody is trying to get to the big dance. And it's so much fun when you do, but I also love the fact that there are some stakes that if you don't, if you're a power conference team and you don't make the tournament, I mean, you're going to have to pay for that. I like that. I like the stakes. I like the pressure that comes with it, and that's what makes these regular season games fascinating. And if you're not watching college basketball yet, tomorrow is March 1st. Get on it, and get on it now. And remember, when you're filling out your bracket, go old. All right. What a great time of year, man. You got college basketball going on. Spring training. Baseball is here. Maybe I'm the only hopeless romantic left when it comes to spring training baseball. We're going to get into what I think about the highest profile team in baseball right now is a team that I am preparing for to be disappointed once again. We'll explain when we come back. My name is Trent Rush sitting in for Jim Rome today. This is the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. To all my friends and fans throughout, I have an announcement to make. Not only have I began a new chapter in my career with the Dodgers, but I also have begun a a new life with someone from my native country of Japan who is very special to me, and I wanted everyone to know I am now married. I'm excited for what's to come, and thank you for your support. That was Shohei Otani who dropped that Literally in the middle of the night, that was like at midnight, that Shohei Otani dropped that note right there. Otani is married? We didn't even know he was dating anybody. Otani is married? This is unbelievable. My name is Trent Rush. Welcome back here the Jim Rome Show. I'm sitting in for Jim today. And so a little bit about me. So... 
part of what I did last, I'm getting set for my 10th season with the Angels. I'm one of the Angels broadcasters, team reporter. I've been around that organization now uh, for about you know 10 years. So part of that is I have also been around Shohei Otani the last six. And I've been with Otani pretty much every day during the baseball season for better part of a decade. And I can't begin to describe to you how stunning this message was to me to read this morning. Now, look, I know that there are a lot of people in baseball that are like, man, Shohei is like this incredibly private guy. We don't really know a whole lot about him. We know he's got his dog. You know, obviously, he's you know the, the world's ultimate man of mystery. You know, he defers all that money and takes the deal with the Dodgers and trying to sort all of this out. And the one thing that I will say about being around Otani as long as I was, I, I don't know that much about the guy. I know how he would interact with his teammates at times. I know how he would be in the clubhouse at times. But when it comes to, like, actually getting to know this guy, I mean, there's nothing to know. Like, like I, I, don't, I can't explain it, but, like, I know Mike Trout's birthday. I know his kid's name. I know his wife's name. I, I, I've met his parents. Like, there, there's something to, like, when you are a star of a team, like, you know, the reporters and, and the people that are around, like, you get to know the families. Like, I know the families of a lot of Angels players. I know nothing about Shohei Otani. And what's amazing to that is has anybody ever had more media scrutiny on them on a daily basis than this guy? I, I'll never forget out in, at, in Tempe, Arizona, the Angel Spring Training Facility, very first spring training. It was 2018 when Shohei came over. And there were reporters that had come in from Japan, and nobody had ever seen anything like this in baseball. The way that their ballpark sets up is like built into the side of a mountain. They call it the bluffs there in, in Arizona. And it's up against the side of a mountain. And access was closed and fields were closed and you couldn't get anywhere. Except if you were to look up, there would be reporters perched on top of the mountain with telescope lenses for their cameras to just try to get a shot of Otani, just to get a glimpse of Otani. This is before he spent one day in the major leagues. This was happening, and this continued to happen because everybody wanted to see this guy. I, I'll never forget being so amazed. And I mean, it's like, you know, you, you, you cover baseball, you're around it. Okay, yeah, when the guys are ready, you know, we'll, we'll talk to them and, and do your thing, and it's professional and all this. It was a different level of celebrity with Shohei Otani. The paparazzi, I mean that. It was like a paparazzi attack everywhere Otani went because there are people that are waiting outside the gates. There are people that are waiting at hotels. There are people at restaurants. Everywhere Shohei goes, there are seemingly people ready to take photos and to see this. And also through my job, I've gotten the chance to, to, to connect with a lot of the, the Japanese members of the media who I have a tremendous respect for, and they are really good at what they do, and they're really hungry, and they're aggressive in, in going after everything they can with Shohei Otani. But all that being said, incredibly, incredibly respectful. I have a, a great appreciation for the Japanese media corps that covered Shohei Otani. But I talked to them. They didn't know either. These are people that are seeing everything there is to see about this guy's life that are desperately clinging on to any piece of information like like you know how big of a story 
Shohei's dog's name was in Japan. Like when he won the MVP and his dog showed up on the screen. You know how big of a story it was trying to figure out the dog's name in Japan? The text messages I was getting from people, and and I'm texting my sources, and they're like, man, we we don't know. It it was amazing that Shohei Otani has been able to lead this unbelievable life of privacy. Now, everything that I know about Shohei and from what I have heard is that Shohei is one of those people that goes to the ballpark and comes home and sleeps a lot. There have been rumors of him sleeping like 12 plus hours routinely to like have his body recover and be and be good to go. And there's been some chatter of that. You know, his interpreter Ipe Mazahura is around a lot. You know, and, and and is helping Shohei more than more than just interpreting. I mean, he is he's there. I mean, in some ways, it's almost like having a bodyguard at all times. Like Ipe kind of has taken on that role to a certain extent. And it's just amazing to me that with all of the coverage and the press interest in every move this guy makes, no one even knew that he was dating. And then on a midnight drop, Shohei Otani just tells the world on Instagram that. He's married. And here's what the the Instagram post looked like. It was white with black lettering, all in Japanese, and a little tiny corner picture of his dog on the bottom right of it. And the text that I just read you. Think about the wedding invitations that you've gotten or think about the engagement announcements you've gotten. Has anybody not included a photo? We don't know anybody about this person. We don't know anything about this person. I've begun a new life with someone from my native country of Japan who is very special to me. And I wanted everyone to know I am now married. That is no information. We know that it is a person from Japan. We don't know what this person looks like. We, we don't know anything about it. Shohei Otani has been able to lead this incredible life of privacy while simultaneously living in the most public spotlight. It's beyond fascinating to me what Otani has been able to do here and how he's been able to navigate this. And again, we don't know hardly anything about him. We know that, you know, he used to play video games with David Fletcher. We, we know that, you know, we'd see him around in the clubhouse interacting with the guys. He's very friendly and, and active and a good teammate and around the guys doing all that kind of stuff. I know that there's a narrative out there now that, that now that Shohei is a Dodger, now he's tight with his teammates. It was, he was that way with the Angels too. That's just it's who Shohei is. But when it comes to the private life, I just I remember hearing some speculation like three or four years ago that there was like a softball player from Hawaii that somehow got linked to Shohei. Like like any of that meant anything, and it, it's it's to me to be able to see this kind of media scrutiny and, and having witnessed it up close and personal for six years, I was completely floored by this. I knew nothing about it, no idea he was dating anybody. For all I knew, he was going to the ballpark, going back to his apartment, sleeping, coming right back to the ballpark. Like, that's all Shohei Otani was doing, and he was singularly focused on that. And part of that singular focus and drive to for greatness in Major League Baseball is how he's been able to accomplish greatness. And when Shohei Otani's a two-way player, he's the greatest player of all time. For Shohei, in three seasons, 
and I, I'm, I'm going to include the year he didn't win MVP, and Aaron Judge won it. Shohei should have won it in 2022. The last three seasons Shohei Otani has put together are the three greatest seasons this game has ever seen. Collectively, what Otani's been able to do as a pitcher and a hitter. It's different now that he's not going to pitch this year as he comes off of Tommy John surgery. But by all accounts, this is one of the world's most famous athletes. This is someone that attracts about as as much media attention as anybody could. I like LeBron James doesn't hold a candle to Shohei Otani in terms of media scrutiny from a global perspective. I asked somebody who's more when Taylor Swift goes to Japan, who's more popular, Taylor Swift or Shohei Otani? And there was a lot of him and Han. Like it might not be Taylor Swift. Like Shohei is that big that in Japan, like Shohei is is maybe bigger than Taylor Swift. That's how big Shohei Otani is over there. And he got treated as such here in the United States and just drops on us that he's married overnight. Like, I, I didn't mean, like, I, when I saw that this morning, I didn't mean to spend a whole segment on the show today talking about Shohei Otani being married, but it, it is beyond fascinating to me that someone this public could keep something like this this private and just gets dropped on us. To all my friends and fans throughout, I have an announcement to make. Not only have I begun a new chapter in my career with the Dodgers, but I have also began a new life with someone from my native country of Japan who is very special to me, and I wanted everyone to know I am now married. I'm excited for what is to come, and thank you for your support. You could not give less information if you tried. We know nothing about this person. That We know that this person is from Japan. That's it. Incredible how Shohei was able to keep it together. We're going to get a little bit deeper into this and the Dodgers coming up. I, I have some I have some, uh, some hot takes on the Dodgers. I'm looking forward to sharing coming up in a little bit. We'll talk with their beat writer, Fabian Ardaya, uh, in just a moment. Before we get to that, though, baseball season right around the corner. You got pitchers and catchers have been in camp for a couple of weeks or playing Cactus League and Grapefruit League games these days. Hey, baseball season is here. My name is Trent Rush sitting in for Jim Rome today. You can find me on X at Trent Rush Sports. You can find Jim at Jim Rome. Also, send us some emails. Rome at Habitake.com. We'll get to some of your phone calls as well. 1-800-636-8686. Talking to you clones. Hey, not all beef jerky is the same. Old Trapper's original old-fashioned teriyaki hot and spicy and peppered all come in four ounce bags so you can sample different flavors to find the best one for you ask for old trapper by name because no other jerky company compares old trapper what's your beef old trappers as good as it gets and speaking of as good as it gets we have an outstanding writer joining us now fabian ardaya who writes for the athletic covers the dodgers is with the dodgers in arizona fabian it's great to talk to you thanks for being with us what's the vibe like in dodgers camp these days well the vibe's crowded but also excited <laughs> I think a, the, the way that they sort of have phrased it from the beginning is like they, they very easily could have been entering the spring with sort of a focus on their neck because they won 100 games the last couple of years and lost in the first round. I think having the offseason they did has kind of changed the conversation a little bit to all of a sudden, like, all right, look at this team, look at these stars. Obviously, we'll see what it turns out like when they actually get on the field. But, yeah, that's been sort of the talk of camp is just all these new guys, Shohei Otani, Yoshinobu Yamamoto being at the front of that list. 
Well, you have to talk Otani. And how about the news that gets dropped on us overnight that Shohei Otani is now married? Was that something? Did that surprise his teammates? Yeah. I mean, uh, we haven't been to camp yet today just because it's a little bit of a night camp. But (laughs) knowing Shohei Otani, like this, now after the fact, it kind of makes the most sense. Uh, He's always been such a secret and private guy that if he was going to announce anything, he was probably going to be on Instagram just like he did when he announced he was signing with the Dodgers. So, yeah. Uh, I think it definitely caught everyone by surprise, but I guess that sort of is how Shohei Ohtani operates. Fabian, you covered the Angels when Shohei Ohtani was there the first time around, and have since uh, covered the Dodgers now for the Athletic, and you kind of got to see the differences. How has it been different watching the Ohtani attention now with the Dodgers compared to when he was in Anaheim? Yeah, I mean, it's magnified, uh, not just because of the team or the market size, you know, like they're technically in the same market, but it's not just because of that. I mean, it's because now he's a two-time MVP. Now he's got the richest contract in sports history. Like He is a face that's bigger than baseball in a lot of ways, and that's going to draw a lot of attention. It's going to make stuff like him getting married and out here on Instagram a news story more than it would have even when he was back with the Angels. Obviously, even knowing then, he was a huge celebrity. So I think everything's just been magnified a bunch uh, since he's been been a Dodger. I think, I think he's better equipped to handle it now. Also, because he's been this is six years of this. I think it's been a steady increase over the years, but I think he's shown he's able to handle it. Fabian, you've also seen this Dodger franchise have remarkable success in the regular season and not have the success in the playoffs. And you alluded to getting swept out of the first round by the Diamondbacks last year. Well, this team has now gone out and spent a billion dollars plus in the offseason to try to combat that Otani, Yamamoto, Tyler Glasnow, to try to you know now become the team in the postseason that they have been for several years now in the regular season. Do you feel like there's not just amplified attention, but amplified pressure to live up to what the front office was able to do over the winter? I think they were already kind of in a spot, even if they didn't make the offseason slash they did, where it'd be championship or bust is tough in baseball, just considering how like, the, baseball, the playoff structure and everything goes. But they were already kind of in that spot. Uh, the pressure was kind of ratcheted up that they kind of really needed to make a deep playoff run this, uh, this October. And, they're in that same spot, if not more now. I think I don't think it's possible, but like they're in that spot where they really have to come out of the season with a deep playoff run, uh, just considering how much they've invested, how, where things are at. Uh, there's a lot of risk, obviously, in the rotation, like that, but if they can get the best possible scenarios out of those guys, like, you can envision a scenario where like, this plays out the way the Dodgers had envisioned. And when I look at the rotation, I actually feel pretty good about the Dodgers in 2025 when you have Walker Bueller with a, a full season under his belt after the Tommy John with Shohei Otani back in your rotation. I don't know how great I feel about the Dodgers rotation for 2024, though. Is that something that you feel like maybe a, a legitimate concern among this team, knowing I think for so many it is championship or bust for the Blue? It's definitely something you can raise your eyebrow at a little bit for a couple of these scenarios. And then, uh, obviously, just to go back to your earlier point, Bueller, I think, is a free agent after this year. So, but he's in a spot where he's having a delayed start to the season. Uh, Tyler Glass now is having is coming off a career high in innings. Yoshinobu Yamamoto is obviously the talent and stuff is there. We saw that yesterday. I don't think the question is whether or not he'll be successful day one. It's just a matter of what's he going to look like in August and September when he's sort of pitching on a regular schedule as opposed to once a week, how he can survive the full season that way. And obviously, you have other stuff like Dustin May and Clint Kershaw, guys who you're 
hoping are back midseason, but even then they're coming off major uh, injuries, and James Paxton has an injury concern. So there are a lot of scenarios where this turns out to be, uh, like, a sort of good scenario where you have three front-line starters ready to start games one, two, and three in the postseason, and there's also scenarios where, sort of like last season, where there's just a lot of injuries, and you're relying a lot on young and unproven guys. So, yeah, I think that's sort of the area of the roster that might determine how just how far the Dodgers are able to go this year. It's a matter of how healthy and how productive this pitching staff that has a lot of upside can be. We're talking with Fabian Ardaio, who covers the Dodgers for The Athletic. And a really interesting perspective Fabian has. Covered Shohei uh, when he was on the Angels and now is with Shohei again with the Dodgers. And, and also now seeing Yashinobu Yamamoto make his first impressions on the major leagues. You saw him pitch for the first time in a Cactus League game a couple of days ago. I guess it was yesterday. What would you think of Yamamoto so far? And, I mean, I, I know it's hard to take much out of a spring training start, but uh, was there anything that, that maybe had you raising some eyebrows, either good or bad, about Yamamoto? I mean, it's fascinating just watching him go about his business this spring. She's considering you've heard so much about like, the unorthodox training methods and all that sort of stuff. It is still incredible to me to see him put up, like, put up that kind of velocity with that kind of frame without like really lifting weights or anything like that. The way he's able to control his body He's impressive, and I think that's the big thing that sort of stood out to me. The stuff is ridiculous. I think it, the big thing going forward is sort of like what we touched on at the beginning is uh, how long can he sort of get into the season before he maybe hits a wall? Because he's used to pitching once a week. Now the Dodgers are probably going to have more, on a more regular pitching schedule. Uh, so is he going to hit a wall? And if so, how, like, does he push through on the other side? Is there injury concern at that point? Uh, so that'll be the interesting thing to see is where Young Moto is at close to mid-season towards the end of the season. Just from a, a big-picture perspective, I just I don't think that there is a team more interesting than the Dodgers coming into this year with the lack of postseason success, with the money spent, with the names that they have in tow. Like, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, as great as they are, now that the help comes from Shohei Otani, I would love to know – what maybe the clubhouse dynamic is like with the Dodgers having, just on a personal level, having seen the dynamic with Shohei in the Angels clubhouse for so many years, I would love to know maybe what you've seen with the Dodgers clubhouse dynamic with all of these superstar players around him. And, and there, there's big names left and right in there. Yeah, I think there's, if there's one thing that sort of helps the Dodgers in that case, this isn't the first time they're doing this. Obviously, they haven't had a star quite to Otani's magnitude, but like, they brought in stars before, and like, they brought in like Max Scherzer in years past, brought in some big names, and they've done a really good job of integrating them. Obviously, there's cultural aspects to it. There's also parts of, obviously, Otani's going to draw a lot more media uh, than your average superstar will. But uh, I think it's something that, as the season progresses, we'll sort of see how that develops. But I think, in a lot of ways, last year it sort of became Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts' clubhouse, or just with some of the previous departures and stuff like that. They are still important voices in that room. And I don't think uh, Shohei Otani's arrival necessarily changes that all that much. But it's interesting to see. Like, I think you're starting to see a little bit of a relationship develop with Otani and some of the guys, like guys like Teoscar Hernandez, who's got it pretty close to. Uh, you sort of saw the other day when uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto was coming off the mound, figure out how many outs there were, so he's batching them there. Uh, it seems like he's fitting in well. Uh, and it's, but he's sort of developing those relationships, but I don't think he necessarily has to feel the pressure to like jump in right away and have it be his room necessarily. 
it's 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 really interesting to see what's going on there. And, and then again, like this this marriage announcement just out of left field. I, I mean, it's it's hard yeah. to it, it's it just speaks to I think how little we know about Shohei. Do you feel like I mean, and part of your job, Bobby, is to learn as much as you can about this guy. How much of a challenge is it to cover a player like Otani with the amount of attention that's on him, with the uh, interest both here and abroad? Uh, what, what, what's that challenge like uh, from you know being a reporter like yourself? It's interesting because also you have to like write around him a lot, just because he doesn't talk every single day. Uh, I think most guys like not every guy is at their locker every single day, but if they are their locker, you can sort of go up and approach them. You can find ways to be creative about it. With Italian, there's so much of a crush of media attention that he doesn't talk all that often. That's it. So find stuff that's unique. It's interesting. Like this week, for example, the fact that he like had a first baseman's mitt and outfielder's mitt in his locker uh, was a huge story. Uh, just because obviously he's the guy who's coming off Tommy John surgery. It's the way they want to keep him active. So like that was stuff that's interesting. All these little nuggets and stuff like that that we can get are really compelling because he's such a compelling figure in the sport. Finding out his dog's name. I just, I'll never forget how big of a story that was. It was to find out the dog's name. It's incredible. Anything that is Otani related is always massive. Fabian Ardaya does an outstanding job covering the Dodgers for the athletic. Fabian, thanks for being with us today. Of course, anytime. Good night now!